Hey, future doctors. Thanks for joining me on Spoonful of Sugar, a podcast made for medical students by medical students to help the medicine go down. My name is Rhea Mulherker. I'm currently a medicine intern in Philadelphia, and I will be your host today. Today's episode will be focused on lymphoma. I'd like to talk about the two major classifications of lymphoma and then the things you need to know um, for step one about the specific types within each classification. As always, I'm going to be reviewing this topic in a Q&A format, um, and I'll take a lot of pauses, try and ask questions, and I encourage you to participate actively um, and try to think of the answer, even if you don't know what it is, um, just to kind of rack your brain and jog your memory about some of these topics. So before we get started, in our last episode, we really focused on leukemia. So I'd like to start by addressing the difference between leukemia and lymphoma. What would you say the key difference is between those two types of cancer? So it's really about where the cancer originates. Leukemia arises from the bone marrow, and it usually will involve all the marrow in the body, uh, and the cells tend to spread into the peripheral blood. Now, lymphoma comes from the lymph nodes, and it typically arises as a discrete mass within a lymph node, and then from there it can spread to other nodes, other organs as well. The presentations of leukemia and lymphoma can often be similar, um, and they can also convert back and forth from leukemia to lymphoma or lymphoma to leukemia. Do you guys remember what the Richter transformation is? So in the last episode, we talked about the Richter transformation, which is when a CLL, so a chronic lymphocytic leukemia, or a hairy cell leukemia, transforms into a high-grade, aggressive type of lymphoma. And usually when it does that, it's going to be transforming into a type of lymphoma called diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, which is the most common type of lymphoma in adults. So keeping that in the back of our minds... Let us now get into lymphoma. What are the two types of lymphoma? What I'm asking is how is lymphoma classified? So if you remember, lymphoma is classified into either Hodgkin's lymphoma versus non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And do you guys know what the difference is between Hodgkin and non-Hodgkin? So Hodgkin's usually tends to have a better prognosis compared to non-Hodgkin's. It tends to be localized kind of to a single group of lymph nodes, and it spreads contiguously. That is in contrast to non-Hodgkin's, which spreads non-contiguously. So it can kind of jump around from different lymph node regions. Extranodal involvement is also common. It often involves multiple lymph nodes. Hodgkin's just tends to be less aggressive than non-Hodgkin's. And then the major difference between them is really the type of cell. Do you guys remember the specific type of cell that is seen in Hodgkin's lymphoma? So remember, in Hodgkin's lymphoma, there's a special type of cell called the Reed-Sternberg cell. What uh, cluster of differentiation markers are on the Reed-Sternberg cells in Hodgkin's lymphoma? So this is important to remember. It's CD15 and CD30. These are the markers that we see on Reed-Sternberg cells. And these cells are really just the germinal center of the lymph node. 
Um, so they're usually derived from B cells. Um, they're kind of, I like to think of them as degenerate B cells in the germinal center of the lymph node. And if you don't know what Reed-Sternberg cells look like, I would definitely recommend looking up a picture of them. Uh, they have a classic bilobed appearance. They're often described as having an owl's eye appearance. Um, and these are the special cell that we see only in Hodgkin's lymphoma. And just to review, what markers did I say are positive on Reed-Sternberg cells? The CD15 and CD30 markers. Very good. So who gets lymphoma? Like what age group? It can happen in all ages. So both children and adults will get lymphoma. Hodgkin's tends to have more of a bimodal distribution. So you'll see it a lot in young adults. And then you'll see it again in older adults over 55. Hodgkin's also tends to be more common in men. Although there is one specific subtype that we will talk about that has an equal uh, male-female ratio. What are risk factors for lymphoma? Think like viruses and diseases. So Epstein-Barr virus is a pretty big risk factor, especially for Hodgkin's lymphoma. It can also cause non-Hodgkin's, but it's a pretty big risk factor for uh, Hodgkin's. And then HIV is sometimes associated with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. There's also a virus called HTLV, the human T-cell lymphotrophic virus, uh, that can cause T-cell non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So those are the risk factors. Now, how would a patient with lymphoma present? Like what symptoms would they be complaining of? So they can certainly have enlarged lymph nodes, and sometimes patients will notice enlarged lymph nodes on themselves. There is a set of symptoms that's very important to know for lymphoma, and these are called B symptoms. B symptoms are kind of generic constitutional symptoms that can happen in a lot of different things, but in lymphoma, it's very classic that patients will present with fevers, chills, night sweats, weight loss. Again, these are very generic and can happen in a lot of different conditions, but as a group, these are called B symptoms, and they're very commonly seen in patients with lymphoma. That kind of quartet of the fevers, chills, night sweats, weight loss, it's more common, uh, more commonly seen in patients with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Another thing that you'll see in Hodgkin's lymphoma, this is kind of interesting, a small percentage of people will have pain in the affected lymph node regions when they drink alcohol. And that can sometimes be telling uh, that a patient has Hodgkin's lymphoma. So let us now get into the different subtypes of lymphoma. And we'll start with Hodgkin's. Do you guys know how, um, how Hodgkin lymphoma subtypes are kind of categorized? It's basically based on how the cells will appear under a microscope. So there's four subtypes and you basically just need to know one thing about each of them. So I'll start by asking, which is the most common subtype of Hodgkin's lymphoma? It's always important to know the most common of anything. So what's the most common subtype of Hodgkin lymphoma? This is the nodular sclerosing subtype. Remember that nodular sclerosing is also the only subtype that has a more equal male to female distribution. 
All the other types of Hodgkin's tend to be more common in men, but nodular sclerosing happens more equally in men and women. And this is the most common subtype. Which subtype has the best prognosis in Hodgkin's lymphoma? So lymphocyte rich. And I just remember because it's good to be rich. So lymphocyte rich has the best prognosis. And then contrary to that, which type of lymphoma has the worst prognosis in Hodgkin's? It's kind of the opposite of lymphocyte rich. Lymphocyte depleted. So lymphocyte rich is the best prognosis and lymphocyte depleted is the worst prognosis. People with lymphocyte depleted subtype will often present at a more advanced stage, like stage three or four at diagnosis. And then there's a last subtype um, that's kind of random. It has many different types of cells. You might even see eosinophils. What is this subtype called? It's called mixed cellularity. It's kind of a mixed bag of cells. Um, and then just remember that the last two subtypes we discussed, the lymphocyte depleted and the mixed cellularity, these ones tend to happen more in immunocompromised patients. So that's really it for Hodgkin's lymphoma. And let's just do a quick summary. We don't need to know a whole lot, again, for the Hodgkin's lymphoma subtypes. We always need to know the most common, which is which one? That would be nodular sclerosing. Which type has the best prognosis? That would be lymphocyte rich. Again, because it's good to be rich, just think that. Uh, what about the worst prognosis? So the opposite, lymphocyte depleted then has the worst prognosis. And then what's the last type of subtype where we might see eosinophils? That'll be mixed cellularity. And I just think of that as kind of the random last one. It's a mixed bag, mixed cellularity. And those are the four types of Hodgkin's lymphoma. Let us move on then to non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Now, non-Hodgkin lymphoma can arise from either B cells or T cells. And remember that it usually has a worse prognosis than Hodgkin's lymphoma. So for these ones, what I'm going to do is kind of go through the different types of lymphoma. I'll give you a one-liner and see if you can identify what, what cancer I'm talking about based on my clues. And then we'll discuss more in depth. So I'm going to start with the B-cell lymphomas and then move on to the T-cell. I have six cases for B-cell and two for T-cell. So let us start with B-cell lymphomas, case one of six. So in this case, I'm going to describe a young African male, let's say he's 10 years old, has a history of Epstein-Barr virus infection, and he's now presenting with a jaw lesion. When you do a biopsy and look at it under a microscope, you see what's called a starry sky appearance of cells. What type of lymphoma does this young man have? So this is Burkitt lymphoma. Um, Burkitt lymphoma is associated with Epstein-Barr virus infection. Uh, and under histology, you'll see this classic description of a starry sky appearance. Basically, what that is referring to is sheets of lymphocytes with these interspersed macrophages. And the macrophages tend to have a little bit more cytoplasm, so it appears as a starry sky. There is an endemic form of Burkitt lymphoma, which is seen in Africa, and patients with this form often have jaw lesions. There's also a sporadic form uh, that can sometimes be associated with pelvic lesions or abdominal lesions. Now, there's a special genetic translocation that is associated with Burkitt's lymphoma. Do you guys know what that is? 
So this is the translocation of chromosome 8 to 14. 8, 14 translocation. And I just remember Burkitt, Burke 8. So 8 to 14. The B-cell lymphomas have a lot of different translocations associated with them. Um, and I honestly don't know how often that shows up on tests. Um, but when I studied for step one, I did try to kind of keep them in mind. That's all I have for Burkitt's. Let's move on then to case two. So in this case, I'm going to describe an adult male who has a history of CLL in remission, but he is now coming in with B symptoms. So the fevers, chills, night sweats, weight loss, um, and he has enlarged lymph nodes. What might we see if we biopsied one of those lymph nodes? So I'm thinking of diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. And in the case that I described, the transformation from CLL into diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, that is a Richter transformation. Now, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma is a high-grade lymphoma. If you remember back to pathology, um, the way we grade tumors based on how dysplastic the cells appear under a microscope, low-grade the cells appear closer towards normal, and high-grade they appear more and more cancerous. So diffuse large B-cell lymphoma represents a high-grade lymphoma which means that the cells are more dysplastic and it's a more aggressive type of tumor. And unfortunately, this is also um, the most common type of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in adults. So the aggressive high-grade type, okay? And that's um, really the big point I want you to take away from diffuse large B-cell, that it's most common in adults and it is aggressive high-grade tumor. Let's move on then to the third case. Let's say an adult patient comes in and he has painless waxing and waning lymphadenopathy. What type of lymphoma is associated with painless waxing and waning lymphadenopathy? So this is follicular cell lymphoma. Um, and do you guys remember what translocation is associated with follicular cell lymphoma? This is the 14 to 18 translocation. So the way I remember this is just the words 14 and follicular in my head. They sound similar. They both start with that F-O. So 14 follicular um, and in follicular cell lymphoma, which presents with painless waxing and waning lymphadenopathy, we see the T14 to 18 translocation. Um, and whenever you have these translocations, it's a good idea to kind of think about what is being translocated. So in this, there is a heavy chain immunoglobulin on chromosome 14, which is being translocated and attached to the BCL2 protein. And BCL2 inhibits apoptosis. And so um, that's kind of why this translocation causes cancer and it causes follicular cell lymphoma. Let us move on then to the next case, case four. So an adult male with a very, very aggressive lymphoma, it is stage four at presentation. This is kind of a read my mind question, but I'm thinking about mantle cell lymphoma here. So mantle cell lymphoma is typically very aggressive and it presents high grade or very high stage at presentation, like stage three or stage four. Um, do you guys know what translocation is associated with mantle cell? So this is the translocation of 11 to 14. There's a cyclin D1 protein on uh, chromosome 11 that is translocated to the heavy chain immunoglobulin. 
And this causes unregulated cell growth because cyclin D1 actually regulates the G1 to S phase of the cell cycle. And so DNA synthesis starts happening out of check and um, the cell cycle is dysregulated. The way I remember 1114 for mantle cell is I think of 11 and 14 year old kids. This is the age when they'd have a lot of trophies on a fireplace mantle at home. That's just kind of the stupid way I remembered it um, when I was studying for step one. Um, but T11 to 14 is associated with mantle cell, and this is a very aggressive type of lymphoma. Next case, case five. Let's say a patient who has a history of some chronic inflammatory disorder, think something like Sjogren's syndrome or chronic gastritis, who then gets lymphoma. What type of lymphoma is this? So this is marginal zone lymphoma, and it usually happens in patients who have that history of some kind of chronic inflammatory disorder. Do you know what translocation is associated with marginal zone lymphoma? This is T1118. So the way I remember 1118, I kind of think it's on the margins of, um, of like teenagerhood, if you're thinking age, um, or the margins of that second decade. However you want to think about it, 11 and 18 are kind of like marginal numbers. They're both close to 10 and 20. And then finally, last case, case 6, for the B-cell lymphomas. Let's say a patient who has a history of HIV comes in with confusion, memory loss, maybe having seizures. When you do an MRI of their brain, they have these ring-enhancing lesions on imaging. What is this? So here I'm going for primary uh, CNS lymphoma. Um, primary central nervous system or CNS lymphoma is actually an AIDS-defining illness. So if you have an HIV patient who has this on imaging, um, that is an AIDS-defining illness. Okay, and those are the six cases for B-cell lymphomas. Let's take a quick pause here just to review those translocations because I know there were a lot of numbers there. Um, Really, the important reason to remember these translocations is because if you look at what proteins are being connected, it, it'll explain the mechanism for cell cycle dysregulation and why these cells are becoming cancerous in the first place. But for purposes of exam, I just kind of remember stupid number word associations to remember what translocations correspond to which cancer. So Burkitt lymphoma. That was T8 to 14. And remember, Burke 8, so 8 to 14. How about follicular lymphoma? That was translocation 14 to 18. So remember, follicular, 14. I don't know, the words maybe sound similar. So 14, follicular, T14 to 18. How about mantle cell lymphoma? So this was translocation 11 to 14. Uh, remember, 11 and 14-year-olds, think of kids, middle school age with trophies on a fireplace mantle. So mantle cell is 11, 14. And then finally, marginal zone lymphoma. What translocation was that? 11 and 18. And again, think of 11 and 18 as margins of that teenager age range. And finally then, let's move on to our last two cases of T-cell lymphomas. So in the first case, I'm going to describe a West African patient who has a history of IV drug abuse who has lymphoma, and he's actually coming in with both cutaneous lesions 
also has lytic bone lesions. And if you check labs, calcium levels are pretty high because of those bone lytic lesions. What type of lymphoma am I going for here? So this is adult T-cell lymphoma. And do you guys know what virus is a risk factor for adult T-cell lymphoma? So this is HTLV, the human T-cell lymphotrophic virus. Um, HTLV can sometimes be associated with IV drug use, which is what I was going for in that question stem. Um, but the human T-cell lymphotrophic virus in rare cases can cause adult T-cell lymphoma. And we don't actually see it a lot in the United States, um, but it is common in like West Africa, Japan, um, and in regions where it is endemic, it can sometimes cause ATL or adult T-cell lymphoma. And then finally, the last case, this is a type of lymphoma which is usually associated with skin patches and plaques. Um, and if you look under a microscope, you'll see these atypical CD4 cells that have a cerebriform nucleus. That basically means the, the nucleus is folded up on itself so it looks like a brain. And then something called po potriere microabscesses. These are intraepidermal aggregates of these cancerous cells. I, thought, I know that was a long question stem, but what cancer am I describing here? So this cancer with the classic cutaneous plaques and patches is called mycosis fungoides. And the name, I'm pretty sure that name comes from the fact that this, these skin patches appear like a fungal infection, but it is actually from a lymphoma. And then those special cells that I was describing, the cells with that cerebriform nucleus, they have a special name. Do you know what that is? So these cells are called cesare cells. Now, last question. What is it called if mycosis fungoides spreads into the blood and transforms from a lymphoma into a T-cell leukemia. Do you know what that's called? It's called Cesare syndrome. So mycosis fungoides appears on the skin, but if it spreads into the blood and causes a leukemia, it's called Cesare syndrome. Think of it kind of as the opposite of the Richter transformation where we go from leukemia to lymphoma. So thank you so much, guys, if you're still hanging in there and chugging along on this episode. Uh, that wraps up everything I wanted to talk about for lymphoma. I'm just really quickly going to spend the next minute or so going through major highlights from this episode. Uh, in this episode, we talked about lymphoma versus leukemia and the possibility of transforming both ways. Remember, Richter transformation as well as Cesare syndrome. We talked about Hodgkin's versus non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, remembering that Hodgkin's has that bimodal distribution. It typically has a better prognosis. We see those classic Reed-Sternberg cells from the germinal centers of lymph nodes on pathology, and that's really Hodgkin's lymphoma. And then um, there's a lot of different types of non-Hodgkin's. Within Hodgkin's, we talked about the four different subtypes, focusing on the most common the best subtype or the subtype with the best prognosis and then the subtype with the worst prognosis. And then finally, we wrapped up with B-cell and T-cell lymphomas. So for B-cells, remember the big picture presentation, the different numbers for the translocations. 
And for T-cells, really the most important one to know is mycosis fungoides, the fact that it can transform into T-cell leukemia. And that wraps up our episode. So thank you so much for listening. Um, If you listened to this entire episode, I hope you found it helpful. Um, If you did, please consider subscribing to our podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, feel free to visit our website at spoonfulofsugar.org and you can actually post them under the link for this episode. And finally, I'd like to make a plug for the third and fourth year medical students who are out there. Um, If you have taken step one, succeeded on the test, and you're interested in recording an episode on your topic of choice, please feel free to reach out to me through the contact page on spoonfulofsugar.org and we can, you know, look forward to working with you. Good luck to all of you with studying. Um, Remember, Spoonful of Sugar is always here to help the medicine go down. Thank you. Thank you.